Support for Alabama Aloud comes from Ernest and Hadley Booksellers of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, who strive to provide a unique selection of new, used, and rare books from local, regional, and international sources. Information about online orders at ernestandhadleybooks.com. From Troy Public Radio, this is Alabama Aloud. I'm Don Noble. Alabama Aloud is the only podcast where you can hear Alabama stories read in their entirety. Today, I'll be reading Capo by Wendy Reed. Wendy Reed of Birmingham, Alabama, is an award-winning television producer and the author of An Accidental Memoir, How I Killed Someone and Other Essays and Stories. The story, Capo, was published in the 2013 collection, The Shoe Burnin', Stories of Southern Soul, and is used here by permission of the author. Usual Crane called it the road to nowhere, but it was really County Road 22. The only people who ever turned down it on purpose worked at the number two furnace with his dad. Usual hated iron furnaces. They ate people alive. Who wants to go nowhere and then die? Not usual. He and his guitar were doing fine in the lean-to. Summer's end was two months off, and he would not be rushed about his future. Usual squinted against the sun. He couldn't make out the car, but saw it was stopping. The driver's door opened, and someone got out. Usual pulled his cap down lower and watched as the trunk was raised. Life with his dad wasn't exactly a picnic, but at least he'd never broken down on train tracks. The figure got back in the car and pulled forward, but then backed right up again. The trunk waved like a stiff flag, but didn't close. Stopping on the tracks was no accident. Crazy, usual thought. Could be one of those suicides. He'd never seen a suicide. He dragged his lawn chair through the army blanket that served as his door and plopped down in front of the sheets of plywood. Now that he'd fortified the nylon weaving with electrical tape, he could plop without worry, but he was still careful when he shifted his weight. The figure went back to the trunk and then disappeared behind the passenger's side. Usual stood up, but he still couldn't see any better. He moved out from the trees into the open. Everything was quiet in these parts unless a train was coming. Even the thick walls of trees were no match for that whistle. Luckily, the conductor only blew it once as it approached the crossing. Otherwise, the bit of woods he now called home was peaceful. The crows could get annoying, but compared to the cussing fits of his dad, they were nothing. The figure didn't reappear. He moved his chair farther out into the open, towards the road's gravel shoulder. Still no figure. He thought about calling out, but he didn't. Instead, he chewed at a stubborn hangnail. The silence didn't last. Damn, he heard. Damn, damn. The voice sounded female. The figure reappeared. Now he was close enough to see the figure was a female, a small one at that. "'Hey, you!' she called. He'd been spotted. She flapped her arms and called again. 
Hey, you! He rushed his legs up so fast that the bottoms of his feet stung. Train's coming, he shouted. Her hair was wadded into a red clip on the back of her head, sort of like a rooster. She cocked her hands on her hips. I got the jack under the car, but I can't get the damn thing to go up for hell's bells. He stopped a few feet from her. She didn't look like someone who would have that disease, the one that made you cuss every other word. But if he learned nothing else from 17 years of living under the roof of Superintendent Crane, as was spelled out and stitched over the shirt pocket of each uniform since last year's promotion, though the abbreviation would have been cheaper, looked better, and meant the same according to Mother, Usual had learned that looks could be deceiving. Pull on over, out of the train's way, and I'll change it for you. She raised one eyebrow and tilted her head like a dog might, if it was smelling something. Off the tracks, he said slowly, thinking maybe she had some kind of communicable problem. I don't hear no train, she said, as if she were insulted. That's when he saw the kids in the back seat. The girl, maybe four or five, usual guest, had white blonde hair and red sucker all over her mouth. She smiled, waved the white sucker stick toward usual, and stuck it up her nose. The other one, either a boy or a bald girl, was asleep in a car seat. Lady, you've got to get this car off the tracks. A train's coming. Car was a generous term. Most of it was an old Toyota Celica hatchback. The hood, though, had belonged on a VW Beetle at one time. Someone had flattened it out so that it covered up the right side of the engine, but the left side was a grid of duct tape. You one of those clairvoyants, are you? The kind that knows what's coming? Then you tell me what else is coming my way. Ain't it enough that I've packed up my babies, left Jero, and hit a deer already? She shaded her eyes with her hand, glanced down the tracks, and knelt down in front of the jack. I don't see no train, but I have seen that men like to lie. She poked at the jack. It was upside down. As good as a Michelin, ha, she said, as she put her finger into a six-inch slit that didn't look accidental. He realized one of the straps on her sundress was coming untied. I'm right about trusting God only. She wadded the hem of her dress and wiped her hands, until Usual thought she'd rub a hole. The train whistle blew. It was distant but undeniable. She looked past Usual and chewed on her lip. She pulled a cigarette that must have been from behind her ear and took a drag. It was lit. She held it out to Usual. He shook his head no. Listen, lady, all's it is is a flat tire. Just crank it back up and drive a few more feet and we'll get it changed. She threw the cigarette down and rubbed it with her flip-flop. Her toenails had been painted once, years ago from the looks of what was left. Usual's mom would have called the color Hussy Red. You ain't got much time. She looked at him as if he was interrupting something, and then cleared her throat as if she was about to explain something to him. But then she sighed and, without a word, opened the passenger door and climbed across the console, sliding beneath the steering wheel to turn the key. Nothing happened. The motor didn't even turn over. Try it again, Usual said. He watched her turn the key. Still nothing. The train whistled. That meant it was down near Mud Creek's crossing. 
This time it was usual who said, Damn. I told J. Rowe this car was a piece of crap. I told him I'd get me a real car. Maybe one of those Cadillacs when I made it big. You watch. I will. I'll get me a car that cranks right up. One that won't get flat tires. I'm telling you, I've had enough. 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 She emphasized each word with a slap to the steering wheel. He recognized the look that boiled up in her eyes and expected her to start screaming and cussing. Instead, she leaned forward like she might be melting, or maybe even was going flat herself, until the steering wheel pressed into her forehead and stopped her. I'm tired of it. Plum tired. Tired of all of it. A flat tire, or, for that matter, a deflating woman, usual, could handle. But now that she was making strange sounds, he wanted to turn around and disappear into his woods. She'd probably start all that crying stuff before he knew it. Then there'd be snot and gnashing of teeth. Just the thought of it wearied him. He'd moved out here to play his guitar in peace and quiet. This was feeling decidedly unpeaceful. So what if she was tired? He was tired, too. He chewed at a cuticle. Her sounds were really starting to get on his nerves. He didn't owe her anything. He didn't know her. He could turn around, go back into his lean-to, and smoke the last of a joint. He had enough going on without this. He needed a direction for his future, not a train wreck. At summer's end, his dad had arranged for him to get on at the furnace. By then he needed to show that he had another option. He didn't have time to be saving some stupid woman and her kids. The little girl waved at him and smiled. She had removed the sucker stick from her nose and now rammed her finger into a nostril. The way she was straining, he half expected to see it come out her ear. Let me try, he said, as though he might turn the key more effectively. But then the train whistle blew again. It was closer than he expected. It was moving faster than a freight. Rarely did passenger trains travel through, but then again, odd was becoming the day's theme. Get the kids out, and I'll push it off. Come on, Forsythia, she said to the girl. But the little girl didn't raise her head. She didn't even move. She made a fart sound with her lips. Although every single movement took forever, she managed to get herself and the little girl out, and then she led the little girl by the hand over to a sprawling patch of clover that bloomed like a blood bruise at the road's edge. They both sank into the red. He guessed he'd have to get the other one. He reached in before he realized the baby was stark naked. It was definitely a boy. Four different straps and a buckle prevented Usual from removing him. The buckle wouldn't release so Usual began tugging at the straps. "'What the hell are you doing?' came from behind. "'You're young, but I didn't take you for stupid. "'Don't you see he's asleep? "'I sure don't need more years of bad luck.' Who was she to call him young? He couldn't tell how old she was, but she was not old enough to be his mother. He wasn't sure she was old enough to be anyone's mother. What did she mean, anyway, by the whole sleep thing and luck?' Mirrors and black cats were bad luck. Sleeping babies, according to Mrs. Slidell, were angels. Mrs. Slidell knew a thing about luck. She'd managed to tend the nursery for as long as he could remember, 
and so had never once had to sit through a single sermon. Wings would be good about now. A few strong flaps, and maybe this whole predicament would be over. He tried to imagine the baby with little feather wings, or the pipe-cleaner kind from Bible school, but a pain shot up the back of his calf, and suddenly the wings turned into those of a pterodactyl, thin and stringy, and more fitting when its mother might just be the devil. She'd kicked him in the exact spot where a piece of tin had sliced into his Achilles tendon at Home Depot. Someone had pushed a flat cart into the line behind him and run off to get something else. The cart hadn't stopped until the sheet of razor-sharp tin hit his leg. He was in shorts and some old Birkenstocks, so there were no pants or socks to soak up the blood. Before he knew it, all the stuff for his lean-to was loaded for him, and he was pulling out of the parking lot, sporting a bandage from his knee down that was wrapped in such a way that it reminded him of a small armadillo. He also still had the cash in his wallet that he'd been going to use to pay for the lean-to materials. It was right next to a brand new plastic gift card the manager had given him. It was good for a hundred dollars. No expiration date whatsoever. He ignored the pain and tried the first buckle again. It had a red push-button thing that he pushed and poked every which way, but it didn't give. He felt another sharp pain. You deaf, she asked, as if he was the crazy one. Then her voice developed an edge. Do not wake Beauregard. She kicked usual a third time with what he guessed was her big toe, and this time it hurt. He was going to have to either slug this lady and then play Houdini to get the baby out or just push the car off the tracks with the baby inside. Pushing seemed easier. He slammed the door. You get the right side. He lowered his shoulders and placed his hands on the taillight. She had not moved. I said, get on the other side, he yelled. He heard himself and was surprised. It was loud enough that it could have been his father. She sauntered into position like they had all day. I bet your mama would be ashamed of you, speaking to a lady like that, she said, all puffed up as if she was on stage above him. Even the clapping of her flip-flops sounded like applause as she took her position. On three, usual said. One, two, three. The train came into sight as they pushed, but usual tried to stay focused on the car. It rocked a little, but didn't roll at all. Again, he called. The car lurched forward, but again it rocked right back into place. Empty coal trains were fast, and they switched tracks as they headed to Pumpkin Center. He could never tell by their sounds if they were empty, but sometimes, depending on the angle of the sun, he could make out the heaping coal against the horizon. He squinted until everything went black, but he couldn't make out a single detail. Harder, he yelled. Still, the car remained on the tracks. The woman raised up gingerly, like she might break, and rubbed her lower back. I can't push no harder. J. Rowe said women are designed to take. And she stopped to look him over before deciding to continue. A particular kind of pounding. She jabbed herself a few times with her thumb. But I'll tell you one thing, it sure hurts like something's cracked. She pulled another cigarette from somewhere and put it in her mouth. This one wasn't lit. 
Usual pushed with everything he had. Over and over he pushed and pushed until he felt his stomach churn. The woman threw her hands up, walked over to the girl, and sat down. You can do it. You can do it. You can, she called, with the distinct rhythm that suggested she had once been a cheerleader. Usual couldn't believe his eyes. They were making clover jewelry like it was the only thing in the world. Even when his father was in the middle of a fit, Usual never had wanted to punch him. Right now he wanted nothing else but to smack this lady upside her head. Any mother who sat in the grass while a train was about to plow into her baby deserved it. He would give it to her, right after he got the car off the tracks. If he could still move, that is. Something in his back spasmed. The car wasn't budging. Every atom in his being began to ache. He'd never been much on praying. Unlike his father, he didn't think damn it was God's last name. Usual even knew the Lord's Prayer by heart. But who didn't? It had debts and bread in it, but nothing about babies and trains. He should have brought the knife with him. Maybe he should have stayed in scouts. He needed something to cut the baby loose. He had nothing in his pockets but a roach clip. An Eagle Scout would not have this problem. Maybe he had time to run get the knife. He looked at the train. There wasn't time for that. He closed his eyes, and the Incredible Hulk's face appeared. He was in a torn shirt, not a scout's uniform. His green muscles bulged. Inside Usual's head, he could hear his father's laughter as he called Usual a girl. Liking music didn't make him a sissy. It didn't, no matter what his father said. Usual leaned into the metal trunk again. He would not be ordinary. He'd yelled it at his dad before he left. He meant it then, and he meant it now. He pushed with extraordinary effort. The car didn't budge. But it was now vibrating with the coming train. Maybe he had time to take the seat out. What choice did he have? He had to get the baby out some way. Bad luck be damned, it was her baby, and surely to God a live crying baby was better than a smashed dead one. All the dead baby jokes he'd heard at school ran through his mind like a train on some weird track of their own. Maybe this was God's punishment for laughing at them. What did luck have to do with anything? All that luck of the Irish crap he'd heard during his father's poker nights was hogwash. Hadn't his father always said people made their own luck? Wasn't that why he'd left? to spend the summer here anyway, to make his own luck. He felt the familiar itch and saw the red splotches appearing on the backs of his hands. Soon he would be covered. Hives or not, he wasn't giving up. He dug his heels in again and prepared to push like he'd never pushed before. He would move this car. That was all there was to it. He took a deep breath and checked the train again. He didn't trust his eyes. He blinked hard and opened wide before he focused. Sure enough, it had switched tracks. Just like that, it was headed east. Usual heard himself breathing. His throat cramped. The burning under his skin felt like itchy electricity. All he could think now was just how stupid everything was, like a bad dream made worse because nothing made sense. I'm Sparrow the woman called from the clover. She placed a crown on the girl's hair and stood up. She smoothed her skirt and tied her strap on her bare shoulder as she made her way toward usual. 
Pleased to meet you, she said, as she extended her hand. When he only stared at it, she turned it over, as if examining her fingernails. It's like I've told J. Rowe. Life too short to worry so much. She waved her hand in the air and let it land on her hip. I'm heading to Nashville. She pronounced it as if it were two separate words. Just as soon as you get my car fixed, I'll be on my way. Before he could protest, she was back in the car. Give her another push, she called through the window. This was worse than stupid. He couldn't believe it. His arms and legs felt like silly string, only silly string didn't have polka dots. He could barely move. The only thing he wanted to do was slug her, and he didn't think he could raise an arm to do even that. He stepped toward her window, and that's when he heard it. The unmistakable release of the emergency brake. The car immediately began to roll on its own. She looked up at him and smiled. They made eye contact for the first time. Then she looked at the road as she steered it off to the side. He watched as she got back out and pushed the lock down through the open window. She twisted at the weight gently, raised her arms, and then rubbed her back. You probably figured my name's not really Sparrow. That's going to be my stage name. But I think it suits me better than Mary, don't you? Before Usual could say any of the hundred things he was thinking, she lay down in the middle of the road and began to sing. He'd never heard anything like it. He checked the sky for angels, birds, the car radio to see if it was on, anything that might be making the sound. But everything was silent, as if someone had hit a secret mute button. Even the roar of the train had disappeared. The only sound he could hear was coming from her. He felt a little dizzy and tried to orient himself by the sun, but the sun would not be still. It kept winking at him. That voice was sure enough hers, and she was sure enough right there in front of him, in the middle of County Road 22. It was unbelievable. As the sound swept over him, he could feel the words before he heard them. This was obviously a country song, and he hated country music, because that's all his dad allowed in their house. But her voice was taking the music somewhere beyond the typical clichés. Somewhere he beyond all reason, wanted to follow. She stopped and sat straight up. You believe they have Cadillacs in Nashville? He didn't know what to believe, so he went for his guitar. He would play, if only she would keep singing. The story, Capo, was published in the 2013 collection The Shoe Burnin', Stories of Southern Soul, and is used here by permission of the author. We hope you don't keep Alabama Aloud all to yourself. Subscribe to our podcast and share it with a friend. Better yet, write us a review in the iTunes store, it helps other people find the podcast. Also, give us a shout-out on social media. Alabama Aloud is a production of Troy Public Radio and produced by Austin Toy and Kyle Gassett. Special thanks to Matt Clower, Buddy Johnson, and Michelle Mowry. So, until next time, when you'll hear more of Alabama Read Aloud, I'm Don Noble. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.